Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Those of you who don't know the Bible real well, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. Go all the way to the beginning. We're in the Old Testament. And we're going to refresh ourselves with a story that's found in chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian as he sat down by a well. We studied this story a number of sermons ago and we've added to it because we sought to answer a question. Why did Moses kill the Egyptian? And then we added another question because it's actually the same answer and that is why do spouses say they love each other and then say or do awful things to each other? The answer to the question why did Moses killed the Egyptian, and why do we treat each other poorly? It's the same answer, and that is not walking in the Spirit. So we spent some time discussing what that means. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. You'll find that book in the New Testament. If you find 1st and 2nd Corinthians, just go to the right of that and you'll come to Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 5, we saw that the Apostle Paul lists, there are two lists there. One is called the works of the flesh. The other is called the fruit of the Spirit or walking in the Spirit. Verses 22 through 24 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Someone walking in the Spirit will have these elements in them. This is the fruit of being in the Spirit of God. It goes on to say, Gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Verse 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We learned that in the crucifixion, the human body is placed on a cross. It is nailed there by hands and feet, and it is left to die by exposure and neglect. And the Apostle Paul is saying that within the human experience, when you accept Christ as your Savior, you are now filled with the Holy Spirit. There are choices to make down the road beyond that. And those choices involve what to do with your sinful nature, which is called the flesh here. We're to crucify it, which means nail it to the cross and let it die by neglect. Don't feed the thing. And he emphasizes it again in chapter 6, and we'll begin with verse 7. 
He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. These are decisions that the person walking with God has to make. If we sow seeds to the flesh, we're going to have a harvest to the flesh, and that's not good. If we sow seeds to the Spirit, we're going to have a harvest of the things that are to the Spirit. It's a choice. Do we feed our fallen nature, or do we let it starve to death? Do we neglect it, or do we massage it and work it and keep it alive and, and keep it corrupting us? The last time we talked about walking in the Spirit, we looked at the power of hope. And we made a commitment to read the Bible three or four times a week to let the power of God's Word change us from within. Now Sunday, when I began to prepare for this message, I was troubled inside. And I'll tell you why I was troubled. For 13 years of pastoring this congregation, I have sought every way I know how to teach you how to read the Bible, to teach you how to pray, to teach you how to walk with God, teach you how to walk in the Spirit. And, and yet it's so important, I can't neglect it. But the problem is, some of you have keen memories. And when I preach something that I have preached before, I get reminded of it. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, somebody said, I enjoyed that sermon five years ago when you preached it. Ouch. It wasn't entirely the same, but it troubled me. And I thought, God, how can I present something in a way that is fresh? How can I present something in a way that will sound good to the ear? And so we have one more sermon on walking with the Spirit, then we're going to get back to Moses. So I'm just struggling last Sunday. And I'm saying, Lord, I, yeah, I don't know. And I'm trying to think of every text I can think about the Spirit. I'm, I'm looking through the Scriptures and finding all this stuff, but none of it is adding up. And I keep thinking, I preach that, I preach that text, I preach that text, I preach that text, I taught that. Where, where can I go? And then I remembered a text that I haven't preached on. And yet it's a familiar text. And I thought, oh, let's go there and see what happens. So I went there, and we're going to go there too. But... It's not that text I'm going to preach on. What happened after seeing that text, I'm going to share with you. And the Lord, I believe, is going to truly enrich your lives. Let's go to the Old Testament, to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 4. And this is the verse that I thought of and thought maybe I should preach on this. It's a good text. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. It says this, So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What a beautiful text. Not by might 
nor by power, but by my spirit. Well, that's walking in the spirit. That's having God's spirit in our lives. And so I thought about that. And I decided, well, let's check this book out. Let's see what this means in its context. What did it mean to the people to whom it was written? So I learned that the book of Zechariah was written about 500 years before Christ. The name Zechariah means God remembers or God has remembered. Zechariah himself was born in Babylon during the Babylonian captivity and he was brought back to Palestine when they were released. He was brought back by his grandfather. Both of them were Levites, both of them were priests. After the temple was rebuilt, this prophet of God, Zechariah, was murdered between the temple and the altar. And you can read about it. Jesus refers to it in Matthew 23, verse 35. Now, the theme of the book of Zechariah is found in verses 1 through 3. So let's read those. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. That's the theme of the book. Return to me, God is saying, and I will return to you. They're coming back to their homeland and God is saying, now serve me and I will be your God. I will bless you. Well, I decided I'm just going to read the whole book. So I started reading it and I'll, I'll be honest with you. There are parts of this book that are very confusing. There are visions and different things and, and I don't know how they apply and I don't understand them. But when I got to chapter eight, I read a passage and my heart just kind of got excited. And I said, did I just read what I thought I read? So I got a different version of the Bible and I read it. And I read it twice. And I said, it kind of seems like what I think it's saying. So I went back to the original New King James Version that I was typically studying with and I read it again. And uh, in fact, I told Karen that night, there is a powerful sermon in this passage. I don't know what it is. I can't quite get my hands on it, but it's there and it's powerful and it's screaming, preach me. And you know, sometimes these difficult passages become the most powerful sermons. I believe, brothers and sisters, if we can understand this passage, it'll change our lives. So here's what I read. Look at chapter 8, verse 14 and following. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent, so again, in these days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth 
justice and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor and do not love a false oath. For all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. Now go to verses 22 and 23. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. Well, what does this all mean? Let's go back and go through it. Verse 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent. So again, in these days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and the house of Judah. Do not fear. Could anybody stop God from the wrath and his desire to punish Israel? Could anybody stop that? No. He would not be deterred. Now they'd been punished. Now they'd been brought back. And God says, look, with the same determination that I had to punish you, I am determined to do good. Now who can stop God from doing good when God is determined to do good? No one can. He was determined to do good. This is an amazing picture. In verse 16 says, these are the things you shall do. Okay, so God was saying to the people 2,500 years ago, I am determined to do good. They're not going to tell God what good is. They're not going to tell God how to do good. They're not going to tell God when to do good. But they're going to have a role in God doing good. God says, here's what you're going to do. So watch what it is. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Do you know what that means? Speak truth to your neighbors. It means be honest. Give judgments that are honest, just, and peaceful. Be honest. Be careful how you treat people. Verse 17. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor, and do not love a false oath, for all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. So don't think evil in your heart against a neighbor. Do not love a false oath. That means don't swear falsely. It means do not love perjury. We're coming right back to honesty. And God says, I will bless. I will bless you. You treat people fairly and I will bless you. I'm determined to do good. In fact, I'm so determined to do good. Here's what's going to happen. Ten men with different languages from different countries are going to see a Jewish man. And when that Jewish man walks by, they're going to grab him by the arm and say, I'm going with you because God is blessing you. Wow. That's amazing. So did that happen? Has it happened? 
Will it happen? And if so, to whom? They killed the man who wrote this between the altar and the temple. It's obvious they didn't get it. And God did not bless them the way he wanted to. Well, what's that got to do with us? That was 2,500 years ago. Now I knew, I could sense that there was a message in here for us. But what could it be? Sure, I can just springboard off of this and come up with all kinds of things, but that's not good Bible study. And then the key came. The Apostle Paul quotes this very passage in the book of Ephesians. And so we're going to look at it in the New Testament and see how it applies to believers today. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, all the way to the New Testament. If you find First and Second Corinthians, keep going to the right. You'll come to Galatians. Keep going to the right. You will come to Ephesians. And Ephesians 4, verse 25, the Apostle Paul quotes Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. Let's read it. Ephesians 4, verse 17. No, I'm sorry. Ephesians 4, verse 25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He is quoting Zechariah. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's see what he's talking about here. And we will discover that this was a message for the people in his day, and it is a message for us in our day. Let's go back to chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. The people at Ephesus that Paul is writing to were Gentiles who became believers in Christ. And he's saying, don't walk like the unbelieving Gentiles. Don't walk like the rest of them in the futility of their mind. Verse 18, he describes it having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart. He is saying within the unconverted Gentile's heart, there's darkness, alienation from God, ignorance, and hard-heartedness. He is describing our sinful nature. It's a very similar list to what is in Galatians. Then he goes on in verse 19. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to licentiousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. We'll go to the New International Version so we can understand that. It says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Verse 20. 
But you have not so learned Christ. In other words, things are different in Christ. Verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. Put off your old self. It is another way of saying crucify the flesh. It is another way of saying don't sow seeds of corruption. Make a choice to God. Make a choice to not fulfill the flesh. But make a choice to walk in the Spirit. All day long, we will be making choices. Every day of our life, all day long, we're going to be making choices. And those choices hinder on us. We will choose the flesh or we will choose the Spirit. God is willing to pour out Himself unto us. But the choice is always ours whether we will avail ourselves of him. Let's go on. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That means be made new. Have a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. Verse 24, and that you put on the new man which was created according to, in, to God in righteousness and true holiness. So put off the old man, put on the new man. Who does that? We do. It's our choice. The power is always God's, but it's always our choice. The old man gone, new man comes. Verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Then he's going to, like bullets here, he's going to go on and describe what it means. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. That means when you speak, build other people up. That's the only reason God has given you a voice. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, that's loud quarreling, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. So what do we learn from this? In Zechariah, in Galatians, and in Ephesians, we learn that walking in the Spirit is demonstrated by how we treat other people. I wish it weren't. I'm not making an appeal, so musicians relax. I just want to get closer. I wish when God said, I'm determined to do good, here's what you need to do. I wish it was a different list that he gave. I wish he said, I want you to keep the Sabbath. I want you to believe that when somebody dies, they're dead. I want you to be a vegetarian. And if you really want to be blessed, be a vegan. I can do that. 
And I, I wish he would have said, and don't go to movies. I wish he would have said, and be careful in dress. I wish he would have said all those things that are familiar to me and things that I can do. I don't need to be converted to do those. But I cannot treat other people well in my flesh. And God says the determining factor as to whether you are walking in the Spirit or not is how you are treating people, and especially those people in your own household. And He is saying, look, if you will do your part, I will bless you so much when you walk by, someone will grab you and say, I've got to go, I've got to learn what you know, because it's obvious God is blessing you. That's powerful. That's powerful. So how do we apply it? Let me ask you something. How did it go this last week in your house? I did pretty good until the other night. And Karen got on my nerves. <laughs> I was tired. She should have known that. I was sitting in the chair. She was doing dishes. That's being a man. <laughs> You're all fearing for me, aren't you? So she asked me a question. I answered it. She seemed frustrated by my answer. So she asked it again. And I answered it. Now I wasn't getting frustrated, I was getting angry. And the third time she asked it, I was angry. I won't describe what she said I looked like, but I was angry. We talked about it this morning and we were laughing about it. And I said, you know, I think that's gonna be what it's like when we both are hard of hearing. <laughs> You're just gonna be angry a lot. I don't like to repeat things. I don't know if you do, but I just, for some reason that irritates me and I got angry. And it still wasn't answering her question. And uh, so I was asking her this morning, what is it you were asking me? Because she couldn't remember it and I couldn't remember either, but I think I remember what I thought it was she was asking me. But the long and short of it, whatever she was asking me, I wasn't answering her question. And she kept asking that question. I had already answered it. So I got mad. I made a decision. The decision to get mad was my decision. If I replayed that scene, here's what I should have done. I should have gotten up out of the chair, walked into the kitchen next to Karen and said, I, I must not be hearing what you're asking because I'm answering the question that I hear you. Now, is that so hard? But no, you yeah, just got, I, you know, became an idiot. I wasn't in the spirit. I was in the flesh. God measures our walk with him, not by our doctrines and lifestyle, 
He measures our walk with Him by how we treat people. And if by His grace we walk in the Spirit, He has promised to bless us so much, people will grab us when we walk by and say, I want in on that. How are you being so blessed by God? So now I do have a question for you. And that is, is there anyone here who would like to say to God, I want to walk in your spirit. And I want to treat people the way you want me to treat them. Is there anyone here who wants to say that? I invite you to stand if you do. Father in heaven, we're, we're just human, but we recognize the, that you are God. We humble ourselves before you. We confess that we have failed. We ask that you would forgive us. You've promised that when we return to you, you will return to us. And you've promised that you want to do good for us. We want all that, Lord. And so we ask for forgiveness, for treating people poorly. We pray for your spirit to be restored within us. And we ask by your grace that we could walk in the spirit and treat people properly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I invite all of you to stand as we have our closing song.